Well, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. And when we start reading these verses, you're going to think this is a message to the kids tonight. Um, but um, it's not to the kids. We'll, we're going to do some to the kids, but uh, we're not we're not there yet. But I want to I want to talk to parents tonight because unfortunately, I think one of the, one of the things that I've seen a lot in my life is parents sometimes make it very difficult for children to do their job. I mean, and their, of course, their job is to obey their parents. Uh, we know that we're going to read that verse, but. But sometimes we make it hard as parents if we're not careful. And I know some kids that um, I don't know if I would if I would have grown up in that household if I would have been an obedient child. I don't know if I would have pleased the Lord if I had to live in that situation and put up with what they put up with. And every parent, every parent wants to have an obedient child. Every parent does. But a lot of times, I think parents they work against themselves by not parenting the way God told them to. And really, what I think we've got an epidemic of in our country today, especially when it comes to our parenting, is just parents not parenting. And I'm talking. I want to talk about lazy parenting tonight because I think that's the problem. It's just lazy parenting that's going on. But Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Kids, you can say this with me if you'd like. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Come on, say it with me. Especially my kids. You're going to obey me right now. Ready? Let's say it together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen. I know. Parent, look, we love that. That's a good verse. I love that. Abby, she showed me today in her Bible. She had that one highlighted. And I was like, alright, so I'm actually going to be preaching out of that one tonight. And it's kind of a, kind of a coincidence. But it is a good verse. It says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's that promise? That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. What parent does not want their child to have a good life, that it be well with them, and that they live long? The worst thing I can imagine as a parent would be outliving my child. But God says, obey your parents, honor them, and there's a promise that you'll live a longer life because of it. Are you saying that every kid that died when he was a child uh, dishonored their parents? No, but I'm saying they might have died earlier than that had they dishonored them. Unfortunately, none of us are guaranteed to live to be 100 years old. But I do believe that there's something to honoring your parents. Um, I remember growing up, there was two old ladies, uh, older ladies that we were very close to and that lived to be very old. Vita Palmer, she was one of them and she, that we were very close to. I don't remember how old she lived to be, but uh, she she got up there. <laughs> she, she was pretty old. And that lady, she took care of her mother until she died. was very close to her mom. Mom lived with her. She took very good care of her. And she lived a very long life. Another lady that we knew, her name was Florence Bettenhausen. She lived to be up in her 90s somewhere. And same thing with her. She took care of her parents, both of her parents, for a very long time. And that's just, and the Lord blessed her with very long life. I remember one night we were over at the house and, uh, we had, I think it was her birthday or something. A bunch of the folks from the church went over there to go visit her and tell her happy birthday. And, you know, she was thrilled to see everybody. And she was in her 90s, but boy, she was as sharp as a tack. 
mentally and she was all excited and she had just found out that she was a great great grandmother and she was she was thrilled she I, I don't believe she made it to be a hundred but she lived a long time and I I was thought I remember you know dad used to talk about how uh, she was with her parents and I think that God gave her a long life because of that but then in verse four this is what I want to go to it says and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Obviously, children, you're supposed to obey your parents. Another verse says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. But we see, ultimately, I believe when it comes down to it, the parents are responsible. Obviously, parents, we are you're the ones that uh, in the higher position of authority. You're the ones that have lived longer. I think God expects a lot more for us. And God said, don't provoke your children to wrath. And a lot of these things that we're going to talk about that goes on with lazy parenting, I guess you'd say, is stuff that will provoke the children to wrath and it will make it difficult. And we're going to look at some examples in the Bible of children, that some that did right, some that didn't do right, and I think it's very clear in the Bible that the reason they struggled like they did was because their parents were not doing their job and they made it very difficult for them to do right. But the things that children need to help them obey the Lord require work from the parents. So it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We want our kids to do the right thing. We want them to be obedient to the Lord. They do that by being obedient to us as a parent if we want our kids to be successful it is going to make a world of difference if they're pleasing God and if they're being obedient to God and we need to do everything we can to help them along the way in that and so for parents or for children to be obedient to the Lord they're going to need parents who are going to provide an environment that it's possible to be obedient in and so what are these things that are needed, and I think every one of these things are just so lacking in our culture, it's not even funny. We'll go to Luke chapter 2. I made a reference to this either in Sunday school or the morning service today. But I want to look at some things. One thing that children need is they need structure in their life. They need, they need structure. From the time they're a little kid to when they're older, they need they need some good, solid structure in their life. And too many parents, I mean, there's, just, there's no structure in anything. I mean, kids, they don't have a bedtime. Alright, and then the parents, they wonder why their, you know, kids are up until all hours and why they can't get them up in the morning and the kids just run wild at night. They need structure. From the time they're little kids, you gotta, getting them in those routines, getting them, to bed at certain times. They they're going to fight you for a little bit, but if you're consistent on it, pretty soon it it actually gets really easy. So we've gone through with five of our kids and uh but when it's that's one thing we've done pretty good at. When it comes to going to bed, it's a fairly painless procedure at nighttime. During the afternoons, uh it doesn't work as good. We've not been as consistent. Like Allison uh didn't do a real good job on that today. And that's probably partly <laughs> partly all our fault there because from day to day things change. But structure is very important if children are going to be obedient like they're supposed to be. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, 
And this is we're using Mary and Joseph as an example, and their child was Jesus. But it says, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Notice here that Joseph and Mary are obeying that Old Testament law with Jesus. We talked about it this morning how Jesus had to fulfill all the law. He had to obey everything. He was just a newborn baby. Had his parents not done these things for him, he could not have been the Messiah. I believe I really believe that. Had his parents said, you know what? We're gonna wait till day nine. It would have ruined it. Now listen, I believe you know God, he was smart enough to know that when it came to Mary and Joseph that they were going to do His will, that they were going to be obedient. But at the same time, I wonder if God looks at some of us sometimes and He knows they're not going to be obedient to Me. I could give them this blessing. Maybe I could give them children. I could give them this. I can give them that. But they're not going to follow My will. They're not going to do what I'm supposed to. And for a Jewish child especially, and especially for the Messiah who could not miss one thing in the law, he had to have parents that paid attention to what was going on, that had uh, that that were disciplined enough to do what needed to be done. I mean, there are some parents out there today. They, I mean, they couldn't even get their they can't even get their kid up and ready for the bus at school. They can't do that. I mean, they, there's parents these days. They are depending on the government or the public school for absolutely everything to feed their kids, to clothe their kids, to train their kids and every little thing. I mean, in school these days, there there are so many things that they're teaching besides your just basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. All these social things they're wanting to teach and push and the sex education, all that. And and you ask them why. It's because the parents aren't doing it. And there are some things, not the sex education, but there are some things that kids do need to be taught and understand, and, and parents aren't doing it. You know, now they're wanting to do. You know, a lot of times they are. I guess in some places, I don't know for sure what all is going on, but they've got all these programs to just try to teach people about drugs and what it can do to you. And why do they need to waste school time talking about drugs and the dangers of drugs? Because the parents aren't. The parents aren't training them on these things. And when it comes to sex education, the reason they're wanting to train kids on those things is there are a lot of dangers involved with that. If you are living like an animal and they're trying to teach them some of these things because parents aren't doing it. They're not teaching them anything. And the kids, they need some kind of structure in their life. And they need to have a structured environment where it's possible to be obedient. And Jesus had that with His parents. They followed the law. Go to verse 22. It says, "...and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought Him to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord." And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. They went and took those two turtle doves and two young pigeons and they offered them as a sacrifice because he was the firstborn male child. And I'm telling you right now, I personally believe had they said, you know what, we'll do one pigeon and one turtle dove because we need to save a little bit of money, I don't think Jesus could have been the Messiah. There might be, I could be wrong on that, 
But I believe he had to obey every little detail, including the things that he couldn't even really do because he was just a baby. His parents had to do it, and they kept. Notice how it keeps mentioned, as it is written in the law. They did all those things. Jesus was raised in an environment where he could possibly be the Messiah because he, his parents did what they were supposed to do. They followed the Old Testament instructions. They followed the law. They did all those things they were supposed to do. They, they knew what to do. You know, most parents these days, when it comes to whether it's disciplining their children, they, they have no idea what to do. They, they, they just don't know what to do. You see it all the time in the stores or you'll be in the mall and some kid's throwing a temper tantrum and you just see that parent there and they're just, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? They have no idea what to do. And the problem is, you know, it's like, well, what are they supposed to do? You know, they can't just beat their kid right there in the mall. Uh, the problem is not, the question is not what do they need to do right then? The question is, what have they not been doing already? That, the kid has hit this point right now. There's obviously been some stuff going on at home that's been completely neglected, and and that's the truth. There is there is no structure in that kid's life. They're, they don't they don't have that, and you wonder how that you know they're gonna supposed to do the things they're supposed to do. You wonder how they're supposed to be obedient. You got parents that are always moving all over the place, and the kids are constantly switching schools and just changing everything in their lives. And when they're young, boy, that that kind of stuff's important. Having some structure, having some consistency. And Jesus, he had that in his life. He had parents that they followed the instructions, they followed the rules, they did every every little detail down to the letter. They followed it, and thank God for that. Another another thing that we don't that is just not going on in parenting these days is discipline. Go to Proverbs chapter twenty nine, verse fifteen. Proverbs twenty nine, verse fifteen. And listen, you know these days you got to be careful. You know when you're talking about spanking and stuff, because there's a lot of experts out there that have never raised any kids that have some differing opinions on these things. And have you ever noticed too, I said and I'm telling you right now, I'm this close to saying watching the news is a sin. I mean it's just it's that bad. It's that pathetic. It is it brings you down that much. I'm I'm thinking, you know, the news is a sin. But all the time on the news, every study spanking Will contribute to every negative thing in your kid. If your kid's got, you know, if you spank your kids, they're more likely to get ADD. If you spank your kids, they're more likely to kill somebody. If you spank your kids, you know, they're more likely to get diabetes or something. I mean, it's just every little thing. If you spank your kids, whatever bad things out there, it's more likely to happen. It's like, and on some of these things, like, how can they possibly even know that? How do they come up with these things? And it's just they don't like that. They don't want they don't want you doing that. And there's a lot of reasons for that I'm not going to get into. But Proverbs twenty nine verse fifteen says The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The child left to himself. The one that you just let go, those kids that you just see out running the streets wild, out doing their own thing. These, these kids that grow up to be teenagers that are just left to themselves, they're not bothering their parents. 
So if they start getting on their parents' nerves, get out. Go, go, go play. Go play with the other kids in the neighborhood. Get out of the house. Go do whatever. Leave them to themselves. And then, so they grow up, they become teenagers, maybe even young adults, and then they go, they've been left to themselves. They have no idea what to do. You see that, you know, these gangbangers and things that are, uh, you know, in the cities and stuff that are always getting in trouble and shootings that are going on. You know, when do these shootings usually happen? Usually extremely late at night. Two, three in the morning. And the question always comes to my mind is what were they doing out at two or three in the morning? Why were they out during that time? What are you supposed to be doing at two and three in the morning? You're supposed to be sleeping. Okay, and I say that every day when I go to work at three thirty in the morning. I'm supposed to be sleeping during this time. This is an ungodly hour. <laughs> You're not supposed to be up. And uh, but it said, what are they doing? They never had a bedtime. You know, if the, if those kids just went to bed every night at ten o'clock, that would solve a lot of their problems. And and I'm not and there's but they have no structure in their life. They have no discipline. They've just been told. Go, go out and play. They get in with gangs and things. They get in with a bad crowd, and they end up doing something horrible that brings shame to their parents. I can't believe they shot that little girl. You know, he's a good boy. He would never do that on purpose. No, he didn't do that. But he didn't have a dad that ever taught him how to handle a gun properly and taught him how to hit the target. And they shot a little girl in the process. And if he had a dad, his dad would have taught him. Some gun safety. His dad would have taught him. You keep it locked up in a case, not on you, out in the streets, in the middle of the night, around a bunch of thugs, driving or shooting from a moving car. I mean, it's just—it's absolutely ridiculous what's going on. It's, there's no structure in their life. There's zero, zero discipline. The only discipline they've ever gotten is from the cops that they've been taught to fear and to disrespect, and they bring their parents to shame. You leave them to yourself. Shame. That's why most parents don't want to discipline. All these things we're talking about here, they take time. They take effort. Disciplining, it's not a fun thing. It's not a pleasant thing. But you just leave them to themselves, you're going to end up being shamed. You're going to end up being disappointed. And most discipline these days is lazy discipline. If you think just screaming at your kids is discipline, uh, you're wrong. That's the easy thing. That's the lazy thing. Even if just flipping out and beating the tar out of them, if you think that that's no, some things take time. You might. It says here uh, in verse fifteen. It says the rod and reproof. Okay. Sometimes the rod is necessary, but there's also got to be reproof. You've got to teach them what they did wrong. You've got to show them how to do it right. That's going to mean some instruction. That's going to mean there's going to be some talking going on and discussion of what's taking place. And some parents, though, you cannot tear them away from their televisions or from their telephones or from the computers long enough for them to do any of these things. Be quiet. You're interrupting my show. Be quiet. I'm on the phone or whatever. And if you don't have some discipline in there, it's going to cause problems. There's going to, there's going to be shame. But not, not just the discipline part of discipline is also correction. You've got to have the correction there. Verse 17 of Proverbs 29 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight 
unto thy soul. He'll give delight unto your soul. Once again, reproof. You gotta show them what they did wrong. You gotta show them what to do right. You've got to, this is more than just, and correction is more than just telling them what they did wrong. You've also gotta teach them what's right. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You've got to, you've got to teach them the right thing to do. You've got to show them and, uh, said, correct thy son, and he will give thee rest. Isn't, it's a comforting thing when you know as a parent that, hey, they learned their lesson. I don't have to worry about this anymore. I mean, it's a comforting thing for parents. I don't have teenagers yet. I don't have any kids that are driving yet, thank the Lord. I couldn't afford the insurance right now. They were. But, um, so, you know, some of you are going through that right now. But, you know, I, I would be scared to death if I had, as a parent, I had to think, boy, I wonder if my son's out drag racing right now. I wonder if he's out, you know, doing something he shouldn't be doing in a car, and I wonder if he's going to kill himself for being stupid. And a parent that's corrected them and that's got them trained right, they don't have to worry about that. They can have rest to know that, hey, my child is going to be okay. You know, there's a part of me that's scared to death. Someday my kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave the house and be out on their own. But if I train them right, if they've shown wisdom, if I've done my job as a parent, if I've disciplined them, if I've corrected them and they know what to do right, then I can have rest. And I can be at peace that, hey, they're going to be okay. They're going to do the right thing. I can trust them. Now, I know Hollywood says you should, you know, you should always trust your kids. No, you gotta earn trust. Okay, that's, that's a stupid Hollywood philosophy. Kids don't just automatically get trust. They gotta earn it. And if they lie to you and are doing things behind your back, they can lose that trust. And, uh, they, they don't just automatically get it back because they behave themselves for one day. It takes time to get that trust back. But Second Samuel chapter 13, I want you to turn over there. We'll see here a bad example of parenting, and especially when it came to correction. And I think this is interesting because this is a very famous story of a child that went bad. And in this story, of course, he's grown up at this time. But just kind of a little background on what's going on. We've got Absalom here is the one we're going to be talking about. And if you remember, Absalom, his... Uh, full sister was Tamar and his half-brother Amnon raped his sister. And Absalom ended up killing his half-brother because of what he had done. And it said, and of course, that got him in some trouble. And in verse 37 of 2 Samuel chapter 13 it says, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Mihad, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Now we don't have time to read all of 2 Samuel chapter 14, but David, you know, he still loved Absalom, still wanted a relationship with Adam, but for three years, David just did nothing. David, unfortunately, while he is a lot of good things, and we say a lot of good things about David, David was not a very good parent. And one of the things that we know about David, that we see throughout David's life when it came to his parenting, is he was a do-nothing parent. 
He was a very lazy parent. You would think when Absalom killed Amnon, David would have stepped in and had done something. David did absolutely nothing. Absalom, he runs off for three years. David wants Absalom to come back. David wants to restore a relationship with Absalom, but David does absolutely nothing. And so in chapter 14, Joab, he's, he sees what's going on with David and Joab gets this plan together. He has a woman of Tekoa come in and she kind of tells the king a story that's really David's story. And then she points out to David, hey, you're the man. You need to let Absalom come back. And so David, he sends for Absalom. And it says in verse 21 of chapter 14, the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. David, he was such a lazy parent. He was such a do-nothing parent. The only time he would do anything is if people pressured him to do something. And then he would do things very half-heartedly. So he sends for Absalom, but then when Absalom comes, uh, in verse 23, so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. So he brings him back, but he doesn't even let Absalom see, see him. He doesn't go to see Absalom. And then, if you go in verse 27, uh, 27, uh, or not 27, and 28, so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. So now Absalom is back. Okay, I listened, I did what the people said I'm supposed to do. I called for Absalom to come back. I sent back, but I'm not going to see him. It's too much pressure. And so he comes, Absalom comes back, and for two years, they never even see each other. And then that's where Absalom goes and he sets Joab's fields on fire. He starts fire. We've, that is kind of used as an analogy sometimes with kids where maybe to get their parents' attention, they'll go do something bad. They'll go get arrested. They'll go do. They, uh, you know, kids have done that before, and a lot of times they'll use Absalom as kind of an example of that. And then after Absalom went and set Joab's fields on fire, then he comes to David and in verse twenty-three. So Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. So Absalom finally gets to see him. And notice in verse. Uh, let's see if I can find the verse 20, 29. It says, Therefore Absalom, this is after it's been two years since he's seen David, uh, while he's been in Jerusalem, Absalom sent for Joab to have him sent to the king, but he would not come to him. And he sent again the second time, and he would not come. Therefore he sent to his servant, See, Joab's field is near, near mine. He goes and sets it on fire. And then... Um, Verse 32, And Absalom answered, Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Absalom was frustrated because he's kind of being punished now for five years. But he doesn't know if he's being punished. He doesn't know if his father hates him. He doesn't know if his father loves him. He doesn't know if he's in trouble or if he's not in trouble. And he just he just wants some kind of acknowledgement. I think Absalom would have been okay if his father said, you're doing two years in the dungeon rather than just two years of doing nothing. Because then at least Absalom knows. I, 
My father's upset with me. I need to do this to get things right. But David just did nothing until Absalom finally had to go start a fire to get David's attention and to finally get an audience with David. And then, of course, then they make up. But David did nothing to initiate that. Absalom did all of it. David was a do-nothing parent. When David was getting old and when he was about to die, he needed to let everyone know who the next king was. He didn't do it. It was supposed to be Solomon. That was the one that God had chosen. That was the one that David wanted to be the king. And then when David's other son went and decided that he was going to be the king, David, once again, did absolutely nothing. Nathan and Bathsheba had to get together and they had to finally go to David and Bathsheba told David, hey, you've got to make Solomon king. Your other son, can't think of his name right now, has decided, has pronounced himself to be king. And then finally David, okay, yeah, let's go ahead make Solomon king. But David, he just did nothing when it came to his children. And his house was a mess. One of David's final words that he says in the Bible is, though my house it not be so with God, his house was a wreck. Because he was a do-nothing parent, he didn't have the structure. He did not discipline his children. There was there was no correction. And but another, so children they need all those things. They need the structure in their life. They need godly discipline. They need correction. So they need more than just yelling and all that. You need to show them what's wrong. Uh, show them what's right. And then, but then also, and this is a huge one, and that's they need consistency. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. We don't have time to go through all the stories of Saul. Saul was another example of a terrible father that did a horrible job parenting, but actually, uh, his son still did pretty good. And said, you know, you don't have to have great parents to turn out alright. You can still do the right thing. Jonathan is proof of that, but yet at the same time, it still kind of ended bad for Jonathan, but Jonathan did, Jonathan did nothing wrong. But in First Samuel chapter ten, verse ten, it says, "And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the, talking about Saul, and the spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Notice Saul here." Prophesying, Saul. I mean, when he started out, he was a good guy. He did good things, and there was a lot of good things that Saul did do. But it's like in one chapter, and at one time you have him prophesying, but then in First Samuel chapter fifteen and verse twenty-two, Saul has been disobedient to God. Samuel confronts him about his disobedience, and it says in verse twenty-two, and Samuel said, "Hath the Lord." as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul had just disobeyed God. He was like, but it's okay because I'm, I'm going to sacrifice these animals to him. I'm, yeah, I just did bad, but look at this good I'm getting ready to do. It's kind of, it doesn't make sense there. I mean, we've kind of got a Jekyll and Hyde thing going here. Just Yeah, yeah I did bad. But I'm going to do sacrifice to the Lord. 
God wants obedience, not sacrifice. In verse 23, for rebellion. He was being rebellious as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as his iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul had rejected the word of God. He was being rebellious and stubborn, yet he's sacrificing to the Lord. That's kind of confusing right there. For a child who, I mean, for Jonathan, who obviously probably looked up to his father and loved his father, and here he is, flat out rebelling against God, but doing sacrifices. I think that happens in church a lot of times. You'll have parents that are just living wicked lives, and the kids see it. Maybe they'll hear the dad cussing at home, and then they hear him singing a special in church. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. Makes a very difficult situation. No consistency. Anywhere, and that's how we see Saul was. Saul, he, uh, I, I mean, I think if Saul would have been alive today, he would have gotten uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia or whatever. But the Bible says he had that evil spirit from the Lord that troubled him. And Saul, he would go into these rages and things, and then they'd have David come and play the music for him to kind of settle him down, and then Saul would be back in good spirits, and he's good and everything's happy, but then later he's throwing spears at people. I mean, Saul had some serious. Serious issues. There was no consistency in his life at all. And, you know, Jonathan, one of the things that we see, he remained loyal to his father. He followed him wherever he went. But you know what? Where did that ultimately lead Jonathan? It ultimately led him to being killed in the battle with his father in 1 Samuel chapter 31. But consistency, there there was absolutely none. And thank God we've got an example of Jonathan who still remained obedient to his father and God, I believe, at the same time. But boy, that could not have been an easy thing. That could not have been easy. His loyalty to David, I mean, it was really amazing considering the father that he had that hated David. But the last thing, though, that is needed in parenting that kids need to see if they're going to have an environment that makes it possible for them to be obedient to Ephesians chapter 6, is there needs to be love. And I'm not just talking about love for your family. I think, I think everybody pretty much loves their kids. I think, I think even the worst parent out there, I think, I think they love their kids somewhat. But not just love for your family, but love for others. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Do not raise your children in a home where you just hate everybody. Where you hate everybody in the church. Where you hate everybody. You just you hate just always complaining about people. Always down on everybody. Do not do that. You know what, kids? They're just they're a little more naturally loving towards people. You know, my daughter out, she sees people on public all the time. I like that person. You know, I think you almost have to teach kids and teach people not to like other people. So well, I'm not supposed to like that person. Look, they're mean looking. You know, they're they're ugly or they're they're whatever. And uh, if you're if you raise them in that, it's going to be difficult. Think about Jonathan once again. He had this great friend David. I mean, think about David. Uh, especially in his younger days, how close he was to God, the way God was using David in his younger days, and Jonathan was close friends with him. But it says in First Samuel chapter nineteen, verse one, 
It says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself into the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. Imagine that position that Jonathan's in. Here he's got his father that he loves and he's got David that he loves. And his father's wanting to kill David. His father hates David. And then finally, you know, Jonathan, he sticks up for David. He speaks good to his father. And John, and then so Saul says, fine, it's okay, I'm going to leave David alone. And then David shows up. The evil spirit from the Lord comes on Saul and he throws a javelin at David. Saul lies to his own son. And here you've got Jonathan who loves David and loves his father, but his father hates David. What a horrible position that must have been for David. It's like that many times in homes where the parents are separated and the kids, they love their mom and dad, but mom and dad hate each other. And mom and dad get those kids right in the middle and they just end up getting bitter. And what a horrible situation. Love, not just love for your kids, but love for others needs to be a part of the family. Training your kids to not like other people is just—it's not going to help them out one bit. It's not going to make it easy for them to do the right thing. And I believe that. But love, though, is another thing that it takes work. Love's not always easy. It's not always easy to love everybody in the church. It's not always easy to love your neighbor. It's not always easy to love maybe family members and things. And but the, the, when we have those things, when you do those things, when you practice those things, it will help them to do the right thing. It will help them be better people. It will help them be successful people. They all take work. And God has commanded children to obey their parents, but He's also commanded the fathers not to provoke them to wrath. And I believe the lack of all these things is what does that to children. That gets them angry at their parents. That gets them upset. And I'm not making excuses for them. I'm not saying that they they have to or that they're okay to disobey their parents. But boy, it, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. I know I'd sure struggle in that situation. And I want my children to be successful. I want things to be well with them. I want them to live long on the earth. And so therefore, I want them to obey me. Not just so my job is easier, but because I want God to be pleased with them. I want them to honor me, not just so I can feel like I'm a great parent, but because I want them to please the Lord. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. I want to have rest with my children. I don't want to be a parent that's shamed. And so, as a parent, it's my responsibility to set up a type of environment where it will be possible for my kids to do these things. And that should be the prayer and the goal of every parent in here and every person that's not a parent to someday be that way, that it would be that way in your home. Because we need obedient children that are honoring their parents. We need to get that back in our culture. Parents, Kids that honor their parents and love their parents. The lack of respect. I've been there and you see the kids in the store. I've I've seen kids scream they hate their parents before. And it's that should not happen. 
that absolutely should not happen. But at the same time, if they were my parent, I'd probably be tempted to hate them too. And don't do that to your kids. So let's all stand together tonight.